Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A couple of housekeeping issues. Uh, applications for the Intensive 15 are rolling in. We're only a couple away from, from where I make the cutoff because there's a lot of applications to read um, for that. So we'll probably cut that off at the end of uh, business today. So if you're still interested in applying for the Intensive 15, which is in November, I believe it's the 18th through the 21st, then please get your application in today so you don't miss out on that opportunity. It'll be the last Intensive uh, for 2021. Um, we just moved iFast over the weekend, um, so things are a little bit crazy at this point. So we're going to dig straight into the, today's Q&A. Um, and I was talking to Manuel, and we were talking about uh, pulling off the floor and how we're going to overcome the inertia and what we're going to see under certain circumstances. What do we need from a positioning standpoint to actually make that pull off the floor? So we're talking about max P here. We're talking about maximum propulsion into the ground. So we're going to have an I-yard representation which means that, that we're gonna have these, these IR ilium, we're gonna have a nutated, nutated sacrum, and we have to have a concentrically oriented pelvic atlas. So we have to have a lot of pressure going upward. But what if you can't achieve that position? What is gonna be our strategy under those circumstances? What are we gonna see from a compensatory standpoint? So we talked a little bit about that. And then we talked a little bit about, about connective tissues as well. So I threw a little segment on the end of here um, that, that we've seen before. If you go back to the seven components of force video where we were talking about connective tissue behaviors, we also have to consider that um, if we have yielding actions where we need overcoming uh, actions to make these these pulls off the floor, then we're gonna to need to train those as well. So we talk a little bit about that as well. So very useful video in a number of regards in regards to positions and, and such, but especially pulling off the floor. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15 minute consultation in the subject line. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. I got a bus to move. Everybody have a great Monday. I'll see you later. Hey Bill, I was, um trying to think about the, the first pull in a clean or a snatch. It's a, it's a little bit more of a squatting position than a hinge in a deadlift. And, you know, I notice sometimes athletes will, um, instead of keeping their, their center of gravity closer to max P, mm -hmm. they, they'll, they'll just shift back into early and they'll let their hips rise. And so I was wondering, is that, is that a lack of, internal rotation at the pelvis so then they're just trying to mutate and dump it forward to get the ir is that, is that a way to think about it or is there too much so, assuming, okay assuming they can get into position so they're not yeah. like rounded or crazy so you know so in a crazy position to begin with yeah so so think about think about the the inertia that's required to break the bar off the floor all right um, that's going to, so, so, and you look at the orientation of the, of the tibia relative to the foot. So the tibia is, is, is over the foot, right? Okay. So if you were to, if they were moving forward, they would literally be at max P. Mm -hmm. And so, so what happens is, um, they are going into max P to break the weight off the floor, but they're not going to go forward because that would be a missed lift by a long shot. So what has to happen? That's why the tibia goes backwards as they're bringing the weight off the ground to the knee. That's max P, but it's max P with a heel on the ground, right? 
if I don't have the capacity to produce the downforce, so that's a high internal pressure, concentrically oriented outlet, nutated position of the sacrum. If I don't have that, right? I've got to go find a way to get to max P. So how do you do that? Well, if I lift my butt up, I can create more downforce by keeping my center of gravity over my forefoot, right? That's what you're looking at. They're just using an alternate, and, and again, a less effective strategy, obviously. What, do you know what they typically blame for this? Like, like, a, 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 like a typical Olympic coach would blame a muscle for this problem, right? Yeah, yeah, they would say like uh, weak quads or um, uh, strong lower back or the hammy strings usually get yeah. blamed for it, right? Because they they see the butt going up, right? And they say, oh, you can't. They they they're they're looking at they they blame hamstrings for it. Yeah, because it doesn't keep the knee flex. Exactly, exactly right. There you mm -hmm. go. Yeah, um, but but what I would say is you just need to you need to spend more time capturing the the max propulsive uh, capabilities. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, um, also think about, okay. So, you know, when you do your little, your little hip bump before you pull. So now we're back to Andrew's question at the very beginning of the call. So you bump a couple of times to create the stiffness before you pull the weight off the floor. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's a, that's a, a clue as to what strategy you're actually using as you break the weight off the floor. I need more stiffness. Okay. And so, so now you're going to be looking at some of your quicker activities, probably to try to capture the, the uh, uh, mid to max P position in the pelvis. So um, assuming it's not a pure like lack of understanding technical glitch, you need to train the physiology under those circumstances because you could probably coach it to your blue in the face and it's not going to matter diddly squat until they have the capacity to create that concentrically oriented outlet under a high pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But that's, that's why, I mean, everybody always wonders why, why you see the Olympic lifters bouncing their butt before they pull. It's like, that's, they're optimizing stiffness. It's the same thing that when you're, it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you've got the, uh, the, the, the bar racked before the jerk and you try to, you try to get like that perfect amount of air, you know, so you're like sipping and blowing, sipping and blowing, sipping and blowing before you, before you go into the jerk, mm -hmm. that's tuning, it's tuning stiffness. Same thing from the bottom up. Okay. Could you, could you give a quick example of what you just described? Uh, take a box squat. Yeah. Okay. Um, take a box squat. And if you do a full load on a box squat, you're going to yield more than if you did a touch and go. Okay. So if I want somebody's connective tissues to behave more stiff, more stiffly, stiffer, more stiffer, more stiff. I don't know. It's early. Uh, if, I, if I want stiffer connective tissue behavior, right? So what I might do is I might say, okay, deload to the box first and then spend less time on the box and then less time on the box and then touch and go. And then, and you see what I'm getting at? Okay. Right. Um, you can also do this where you would do like um, uh, maybe a jump up to another box where you would start them on just a simple box squat, deload, mm -hmm. less time on the box, touch and go, and then jump, right? So I'm sort of ramping up the stiffness, if you will, right? Versus somebody that's going from like a full yielding action that might be what we would deem 
um, less than ideal. So somebody that might like a, a tall, slender volleyball player that, that might have a lot of eccentric orientation, a lot of yielding capabilities, but not a lot of turnaround. So, so the vertical jump is, is a little bit lower than you would like it to be. And so again, you transition them into a faster and faster loading representation. So the tissue becomes stiffer and then you turn that into the more explosive activity. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have no coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, a very busy Tuesday coming up. But first and foremost, had to cut off the application process to the Intensive 15 uh, last night. We hit our target and so the blind readings will begin. I should be able to notify the eight selected attendees by Friday. So if you applied, uh, be looking for that email, the golden ticket, um, if you get selected. Okay, uh, digging into today's Q&A. Um, this builds a little bit on what we were talking about yesterday when we, when we started talking about, about pulling from the floor. We're going to talk a little bit about the setups and how people may be accessing their setups for the, for the pull from the floor and where we might see some of these compensatory strategies. We also relate that to some, some squatting related issues as well. So you can start to identify those compensatory strategies and, and how people are accessing these spaces, whether they're using expansive strategies to capture the ER space or whether they're actually just bending the spine, which is what we don't want, because that's where we're going to start to see the compromise of the, the posterior structures like disc-related injuries, ligamentous type of injuries and such. Um, so again, I think you'll find this a useful video in, in many cases. Uh, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so we don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you later. Some, in the last few calls, we've been talking about, you know, iterations between, uh, you know, uh, elbow position, knee position, and how the, the body will twist progressively uh -huh. from yeah. um, one, one shape to another. And I was wondering um, if, if you've noticed any patterns in terms of, uh, like, lower back, or, or not lower back, just back rounding in general when it comes to, like, a deadlift. Because you'll, you'll have some athletes that will you know, round their lower back when they try to bend over to get yeah. in position. And then I've noticed some other athletes, especially narrows who, well, when they bend over, they tend to have like a big, like hump over the, like the thoracic area, the DR area. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just wondering, is there a, is there a progression towards late propulsion that leads, you know, to different, different representations of back rounding when it comes to setting up for a deadlift. Okay, so <clears throat> so typically um, any form of what would be termed by traditional viewpoints flexion is external rotation, mm -hmm. All right? And so that might be what you're seeing is you're seeing somebody that's trying to acquire a position and then they're using a compensatory strategy to, to um, bend, it, it sounds like they're just bending forward. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like, like they, so when they're pulling the weight off the floor. Yeah, like they're, they're just trying to get into position. So they can't. Okay. Like yeah, if they're just trying to get into position, then, then chances are they're, they're, they're using some form of, of strategy to create an external rotation that allows them to access a position, right? So you'll, you'll see this in, in some people that, that, uh, that have like a, 
a really extreme round appearance to their back when they're doing their toe touch, or you'll see somebody as they're descending into a deep squat. So some people can descend very comfortably into the very, very deep squat, but they do it with a lumbar compensatory strategy that allows them to access that position. Mm -hmm. Right. And you'll, and you, you know, they'll, they'll almost look like a, like a huge bulge in their, their lower back as they descend into the, into the squat or to the toe touch. So, so chances are that's what you're looking at. Right. And so is there a, uh, so like we've looked at, you know, varus and valgus knees and golfers and tennis elbow and stuff like that. Is there a progression that goes that, you know, like do people start with lower back rounding and then work their way up or is there, or, or does that not exist? Is there not a progression, you know, that from, you know, from towards lay propulsion where everyone ends up where, you know, you see a progression in terms of back rounding. Okay. Um, does so that make sense? I, I, I think I understand. I think I understand what you're asking. So let's go back to Andrew's question for a sec. Okay. Yeah. And so if we look at, at, at a counter nutated versus a nutated sacrum, right? So the counter nutated sacrum as, as it counter nutates the sacral base would tilt backwards and it brings the lumbar spine with it. Right. And, and so as we would compress that forward, okay, the lumbar spine would have to go with it, right, to, to some degree, okay? And then as you would need to access, and, and, and that takes away your ER space, you understand that, right? So, mm -hmm. so as, I, as I compress the pelvis forward, um, I, I start to lose ER space. And so um, it's, it's sort of like a, um, a, a, the end of a whip, Mm -hmm. Right. So if I move, if I start to move the sacral base forward, so I'm orienting the whole pelvis, the spine has to go with it. And then everything starts to move as a, as a more of a single unit. Then as you start to descend into a, a position that I needed that space, right. That's where you would see uh, the substitution of, of flexion, right. Traditional flexion as the substitution versus somebody that could descend into a squat using uh, like a, a typical early representation, which would be the counter-nutated sacrum with the spine that follows. Because that would be, and, and you'll see this um, in your more accomplished weightlifters, you'll see them at the bottom of, the, uh, of, of, a, of a clean or a snatch, and they will be like, they, they had to access that space with counter-nutation and, and lumbar flexion. It's not rounding of the spine that you would see in somebody that is less accomplished with, with um, less capability to access that space with relative motion, right? So as I lose relative motions, that's where you're gonna see the flexion substitutions. So you're gonna see these represented more um, where someone has reached sort of like the end game positions, okay? So after I take away all the relative motion in the pelvis, I still have to have movement to access spaces. That's where you're going to see the, the, the lumbar and cervical substitutions. Like you'll see this in the cervical spine as well. It's, it's not as, as obvious because the cervical spine is a little bit smaller, you know, in regards to the, to the bony structure, but it's, but it's there at the same time. So if you think about like a progression, it's like, I don't need that space until I take away the relative motions in the thorax or the relative motions in the pelvis. 
So, so you won't see that until, like I said, the pelvis is already pushed forward. You've already got the posterior compressive strategies because then like, you know, until then I have ER somewhere, right? And then the spine would be one of your, unfortunately, your less desired compensatory strategies because that's usually where you're going to see somebody that's substituting a very focal, and then we can talk about Andrew's question on, on Facebook, very focal delay strategy in the lumbar spine. And this would probably be where you start to see like disc-related pathologies, um, ligamentous problems, things like that. Mm -hmm. So is, um, you know, is, is rounding in the thoracic spine, like having that hump versus lower back rounding is one representation is one person later than the other in either of those two cases or well okay so chance so again it's like it's if everything's starting to move as as a single segment so so when you get a bend versus an expansion right okay so a bend would be later mm -hmm. right because expansion would imply that i have relative motions available does that, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So the people that, that descend into a squat, um, and I see it more in the whole pelvis, you see the whole pelvis move as, as a single segment. And then you see this just progressive, like it, it would, it would look, it'll look like a big C curve, mm -hmm. right? That's somebody that's just bending their spine forward to maintain their center of gravity far enough forward over their feet that they don't fall back. Yeah, and that, that's a different curvature than like with the whole back rounding compared to say, sure. somebody that has like lower, just lower back or butt wink or whatever they want to call it, like lower back rounding. That's that's not that's not an accomplished lifter. That's you know gross flexion, right? And so I I, I I'm I I guess my if you have um, to if you have to which one is worse which one is like which one is worse in terms of like how late are they how how much relative motion do they lack? so, so you would compensate in the lumbar spine most likely first because it's the easiest access easiest access right mm -hmm. but again it's like so if i keep going forward then the pelvis and the lumbar spine become a single segment too Okay, because you have more, you have more muscle activity that is trying to keep you forward. And so then the, the, the only way that you're going to create the ER space under those circumstances is to actually create a bend in the axial skeleton, which is not expansion. It's just a bend. Right. Right. So that would be the later, that would be a later representation where you're essentially losing all of your your segmental motion there and you just like literally it's a the, the you know just take any tube and you know bend it that's what basically would be happening mm -hmm. okay and then that's and that's why the posterior structures then be, become compromised because they 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 have to elongate it's not a just it's not this nice distributed thing so so just take like a a string from the the, the base of your head to the to the sacrum right and, and it, they, they will try to elongate that string. Like literally that's where the, the, the lengthening would have to occur, but it's not like this, this nice AP expansion that you would associate with, with uh, the, like the volume change. There's no volume change in it, it's just a bend. Mm -hmm.
Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Very solid Wednesday. Um, started it with a message from my good buddy Jim Ferris. Um, gave me a rattle the cage message and therefore put the sweatshirt on. It's a little chilly. Perfect day for rattle the cage. Thank you, Jim Ferris. Respect the shield. Okay. Uh, today's Wednesday means tomorrow's Thursday, which means that tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call, as usual. These are great calls, great group of people, great questions. Please join us, 6 a.m., grab your coffee, and uh, we will have a great time, as we usually do. Going into today's Q&A, um, this is from Shuria. Uh, we, had a, we had a chat about some, some endgame narrow strategies, and, and I think endgame narrows tend to be one of the harder representations um, for us to work with because, um, number one, they're biased towards ER. Number two, they have all superficial strategies in play. And these are the people that are going to be accused of being swaybacks. And one of the reasons why I think that it's, it's so difficult so you're looking at somebody that has this posterior lower compressive strategy that's pushing them hard into an inhaled externally rotated representation. If the ischial tuberosity becomes in line, in line with, with the femur as, as that sway would occur, glute, the posterior lower uh, glute max actually adducts, it pulls the, the femur towards midline, if we're using traditional terms of, of adduction. Um, Adduction is actually internal rotation. Under this circumstance, though, it's an externally rotated representation, which creates a lot of problems for people because you think about an end game representation, that's somebody that would be anteriorly oriented and then they got the sway under. And so you have to create a posterior orientation. The mistake that people make is they drive a posterior orientation under this scenario and all they do is emphasize the the compressive strategy in the posterior lower aspect of the pelvis. And then they wonder why they don't get their internal rotations back when they're trying to drive internal rotation in like a hook line position or something. Or so people put things between people's knees and they say, okay, squeeze this. And there's their assumption that because they're quote unquote adducting, which they're not, they're actually externally rotating in that position because of the proximal representation of the femur. So you'll get a representation that looks kind of like this before you do that activity. So you have external rotation at the hip, you've got internal rotation at the knee. So if they're squeezing something between their legs, they're actually externally rotating at the hip. Thus, you get big external rotation return, no internal rotation return, which means you got a spinal compensatory strategy. So that's where you're ER, you're actually ERing in the spine um, and you're not internally rotating at the hip. So the first step you have to achieve is moving that ischial tuberosity back away from the femur. And this is what we discuss uh, as part of today's Q&A. So I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people that are struggling with your in-game narrows. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Um, so I had a question about the narrow archetype, uh, someone with a narrow bias. So in, you know, their A to P compressed, you get some posterior expansion. So we're restoring, we're restoring some, some ER. Mm -hmm. um, and like end game narrow. So, you know, right to left, bring them back. Um, I have a little bit of trouble understanding anterior compression and some strategies to to reduce that or to I guess maybe that's like restoring the IR um how do you how do you go about 
that. So if you're someone that's in that stage where, again, ERs have sort of come back, is that like one activity I can think of is the cross connect because in the ER space, you're superimposing IR, but what else can you, can you do to get the anterior compression to expand or expand anteriorly? Okay. So, so in, in its, in its simplest representation, what are we, what are we trying to, to move to create that space? Like, where do I need expansion to create that space? Anteriorly? Yeah. Okay. So, so now we just have to say, it's like, okay, what, what positions promote enough concentric orientation posteriorly so I can push volume forward? Right. You understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that would be like reaching activities because for me to reach, reaching mm -hmm. is turning, right? Reaching is turning. And so if I'm trying to create um, an anterior expansion, that would mean I would need some measure of posterior compressive strategy that would allow me to push the, the fluid volume in the thorax or in the pelvis forward. Correct? Gotcha, yeah. Okay, so anything that does that falls into that, that category of, oh, that would be desirable. Gotcha. Right? Mm -hmm. And while doing these reaching activities, you're also restoring the dynamic ISA and so hope on. Hope so, hope so. Okay. You know, if you don't, if, 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 you, can't, if you can't move the ISA, then you, mm -hmm. can't, you can't really recapture the relative motions because the relative motions demand that I have the ability to turn and change that the shape of the ISA, right? Because mm -hmm. that's how you do move. I mean, the, the, like that is a great representation of how you move, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, if I can just ask one more in the sort of end game representation of a, a narrow uh -huh. um, poster compression to the point where you've got. Um, by sort of like the uh, ischial tuberosities. Um, you know, this individual, both sides, um, right by the ischial and also sort of uh, just below the trochanter. Uh -huh. Where are they in, in space? Uh, so I'm having a little bit of trouble, a little bit of trouble both, well, I can sort of visualize it, but yeah. also strategies to alleviate that. Okay. so so. This is somebody that's going to have a, a, a center of gravity that is that is as far forward as they can probably go, right? So so your your end game. So your ischial tuberosity is going to be compressed forward, right? And so it, it gets closer and closer, and then it becomes in line with the femur, mm -hmm. right? If it would go, if I if I posteriorly oriented that that pelvis in that position, I theoretically just magnified that strategy, right? So you're gonna have to, you, you literally have to move the ischial tuberosities back, right? And then I need to create a wider representation of the outlet. Does that make sense? Because you've got a, you've got an outlet that is that is compressed and right. pushed forward. I need to bring the, the outlet back and then open it back up. Gotcha. Okay. You understand? So this would be like you, you you know people that get accused of being sway back, right? So. It's, right. Your narrow representation that is end game pushed way forward, they tend to be your sway backs. They, these are the people that look like they have no butt muscles. Mm -hmm. And it looks like that their, their hip joint is ahead of their knee. 
because it is. Got okay. it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first thing you better do is move that ischial tuberosity back relative mm -hmm. to the femur, because again, if you try to, so if you try to posteriorly orient that pelvis, that's already pushed that far forward, you will magnify the posterior lower compressive strategy. So this is where a lot of people, they, they just, they jump the gun and they put people in like a, like a, a like a, literally they put people in a posterior orientation on somebody that would love for you to posteriorly orient that pelvis, right? And they end up with a spinal compensatory strategy because they didn't get relative motion in the pelvis at all, right? You've got to create you, again, it's, it's a reverse engineering of the position. So if right. I know that those issue tuberosities were pushed forward, I better figure out a position that brings them back first. Then I want to open that, that outlet into the exhale of the position. Do you yeah. understand, do you understand those strategies? Yes. What would be like a like a, an example of an exercise or a movement where the issue or tuberosities are sort of being pushed back? Okay. So, <laughs> Crazy simple, right? It doesn't seem obvious, but so if I'm going to see if I can get this. So if, if this is in line, you see, you right. see how the issue of tuberosity is hiding? Yeah. So what direction do I need to move the pelvis to bring the initial tuberosity back behind the femur? Right. Move them back. Move it back. Yeah. 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 Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I do something that takes me from this position to that mm -hmm. position, right? So I'm just moving from the inhale to the exhale. Right. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have no coffee in hand and it is perfect. Um, so I was going back through uh, some old uh, client notes of mine, and um, unfortunately, I didn't used to take the same set of table measures or in the same way that I do now, but yeah. I know <laughs> I had a fair number of people along the way um, who uh, showed what seemed to be pretty normal hip flexion, but then very limited straight leg raises, like 100-ish degrees for hip flexion, uh, Yeah, 40 degrees for straight leg raise. Is this probably just terrible measurements on my part, or is this something that um, makes sense within the larger model? Yes, you're you're a horrible, terrible person. Um, so, a couple of possibilities, a couple of possibilities. Um, so, with with the limited straight leg raise, then you know you've got a posterior lower compressive strategy, right? Um, and and so, theoretically, you should not have. Uh, anything that would approach a normal hip flexion measure, right? Because the, the limitation is, is at the hip. Um, and so if you get something that would appear to be um, an exaggerated hip flexion measurement, you have a pelvis that is moving as a single unit in some way, shape or form, right? So think about this, you got posterior lower compressive strategy. That means you got every other superficial strategy kind of tacked on there. So you got a pelvis that is orienting under almost all circumstances. So you've got three possibilities. It, it's turning towards you, it's turning away, or it's just rolling straight back towards the table, which would be under that circumstance where you're measuring one hip at a time would be a turn towards you. So chances are that's what you're seeing is you just turned them towards you as you were, as you were moving them up into the hip flexion. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, and very useful to distinguish between 
what it, like if you've got a curiosity and you can't quite figure out what's going on, um, very useful because it, it becomes that outlier measure when you go, well, how the heck could I possibly get that measure? Because it doesn't make sense that I have this really limited straight leg range. Yeah. Awesome. And I imagine and, the shoulder too, right? So yeah, kind of. Um, when you when you get the asymmetrical ones, where you get like crazy hip flexion on one side and very limited on the other side, and you also see this with your ERs, ER measures, it'll help you distinguish that that representation as well because the magnification of external rotation is definitely going to be the spinal rotation toward you. Like you get like a 25, 30 degree ER on one side and you get 60, 65 ER on the other side. You ever have one of those people? Yeah. yeah. So that's a spine that's turning. So, so and, and when, you, when you think about um, weight distribution of the measurements themselves, so the straight leg raise displaces weight away from the center of gravity on the table. When you, when you bend somebody's hip, you're, you're shifting mass over top of the pelvis, which will allow it to turn, whereas in the straight leg raise, it may not turn at all because the distribution of load is different. You see the dip? See what I'm getting at? Yeah. So again, the outlier, that, that's, why, that's why I talk about coffee cups on the chessboard. It's like some of the, sometimes you get that one measure that's like, and, but thankfully you get that one measure because that, that gives you the key to the whole thing because you, know, you see people that would like measure crazy symmetrical but limited except for one thing right and there's 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 two reasons for that you have a constraint that gave way which would not be fun um and you would know pretty much that it would be really uncomfortable when you do the measurement um or you have somebody that like i said they, they're moving as a unit so they're orienting to create the magnification of the range of motion awesome. cool thank you you're welcome sir Good morning, happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay, a little housekeeping detail. Uh, attendees for the intensive 15 have been selected and invites went out last night. So check your email for a golden ticket. If you didn't receive a golden ticket this time, um, please keep applying. There are many people that have applied several times and then have finally gotten in. Um, and the only reason is because we've got to limit this to eight people to keep it as uh, intense, if you will, um, as, it, as it is. And so we want to keep it small and uh, I can only let eight people come at a time. We get a lot of applications. So I appreciate you all applying. I appreciate the interest. I truly do. Um, I would love everybody to come, but again, it just wouldn't work and it wouldn't be the same. So uh, going into today's Q&A, this comes from, from Colin. Colin asked actually a really good question. It seems like a really simple question, but I think there's, there's still a lot of confusion as to what we would classify as an early, middle, or late propulsive activity. Um, one, of the, one of the clues that we can, we can use actually is, is foot position. And we've talked about foot positions before. We're talking about the, the early representation, which is an ER representation. The, the, um, middle representation, which is as the tibia translates over the foot and we start to see the, the arch lower and then we see the late representation, which is again is, the, is an ER representation, but we have a difference in the, the toe representation there to give you that little bit of a clue. 
And what we can do is we're, as we're trying to decide how we're gonna classify these activities, we can look at the foot position, we can look at the relative tibial position to the foot, and that's gonna help us determine whether we're dealing with an early, middle, or, or a late strategy. And so this is what we talked about. It's actually not even, a, it doesn't have to be a really long video. It's, I think this is about four minutes and change or something like that, but it will give you some clues um, as to how to organize your training in the early, middle, or late representations. If you have any other questions, um, please send those to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. If you'd like to do a 15 minute consultation, put that in the subject line and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Um, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Don't forget get so you get all the videos um there and the podcast will be up on sunday i'll see you later could we just talk about strategies to bring someone back right and maybe yeah. even some like training based strategies not just like a skywalker or you know like your cross connects and things like that okay what do you, well, do you <laughs> <laughs> did you have like something to sort of lead us in a direction or do you just want to speak randomly? Yeah, so I guess like things that are heels elevated, right? Where you're having someone find like an early propulsive foot could be strategies that would bring someone backwards, right? Right, so, um, so think about, okay, just, just take the foot representation. Yep. How many exercises can you come up with that would use an early foot representation? Quite a few. Well, there, I mean, there's a fair amount. There's a yeah. fair amount. Anything that you, you, you know, you put, that's why we have those incline boards all over the place at IFAST, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have, we have to capture those positions. You've got uh, suspension trainers, right? So you got the TRX kind of a thingy where you can lean somebody away Right, and, and so you drop, you, literally anything that you do leaning away is gonna move you towards that representation, yeah. right? You can do it, you can do it in an offset position, you can do it in a symmetrical position, you can do it in a single leg stance, right? Um, you, so Zach's sled drag that he was doing, depending on how heavy it is, right? Will we'll take you to the earlier side of middle. The lateral or the reverse? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, sorry, I, did, I probably didn't say it out loud. I was thinking it. Um, yeah, if you're going sure. backwards, you're going to be in that that earlier representation, right? But it's it, keep in mind that you're dragging some weight, so, so it's going to keep you a little bit closer to the middle. But it is like yeah. if, if you want to maintain coherence in your programming, it would behoove you not to do like a forward sled drag, you know, where, where somebody's walking forward or a prowler push or something like that for somebody that you're trying to capture early with. That would be a conflict. Right. Um then like the lateral sled drags, I think of that as like just how you would use like rolling from your back to your side, but you're standing up and you're moving weight. Well, right? so like, if if you can if if you're moving sideways and you're within that small space, you've just taken away space in front, right? Yeah. So so if you're not if you if you don't have that space in front of you, then everything's moving to the side. So you're 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 closing in on middle. Right. right away, yeah. it's biased towards a middle, a more middle representation. And again, you can play with it, you know, slightly to the front, slightly to the back of that. But essentially, you're going through middle P. That's where you, that's why I like it. I like lateral sled drags when you when you're um, when you got the the person that is a little bit um, ER'd on the right side and and they can't recapture the dorsiflexion. It's a nice, comfortable way to to start to drive that that middle representation again um, to, to recapture the ground contact, like the medial foot contact. 
Yeah. It's like, it's like, again, we, we would represent that like when you're coming out of a cut and you got to push off the inside edge of that foot. Right. So anything along, anything along those lines would be more middle. Um, and again, if I displace, if I displace load anteriorly, I'm going to respond by moving, moving backwards. Correct. Sure. Um, step up variations would be biasing someone more towards middle. What what? Doing like any kind of like step up variation, like a like. Step ups are going to be very middle-ish. If you yeah. if you so so yeah, just look at the foot representations and look look at where where your hips are positioned, right? You're going to go through. <clears throat> I mean, because you're moving through space, you're gonna, you got to have some ER to move, but but generally speaking, it's going to keep you biased more towards a, a middle representation. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Mm -hmm. And the more lateral you would step up, the more middle you would be, right? Yeah. So don't forget about that.